Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Dear Lord, we love you as always, and we love to worship you. We love to gather together here in your church. Uh, thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for the tests you've bestowed upon us. Uh, we carry you with us every day, wherever we go. And we uh, just appreciate you and love you dearly. Amen. Well, good morning. Mm. Good morning. I hope everyone's feeling well this morning. And I say that genuinely wishing everyone here well, because it's been something of a rough month. Uh, I have uh, some dear friends who are going through some concerning health issues. We've got members of this congregation who seem to be experiencing, you know, setback after setback. Um, and, you know, it just can be a trying time, and this summer in particular is trying. Uh, we just went on a trip to Scotland, uh, which was a blast. But I don't know if you know this, but apparently trips overseas cost money. <laughs> and they expect you to pay that money later. Um, a long, drawn out later. Uh, <laughs> I've also got some friends who are experiencing positive things. I got a buddy, a dear friend, who's a new dad. And I got another close friend who's about to be a new dad in about a week. And those are wonderful, wonderful moments in your life, but they also bring a little bit of stress, a few hardships along. Uh, there's a, something of an adjustment that happens with those. And for my part in particular, it's been a hell of a week. It's been a hell of a week, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I can't tell if the older I get, the harder it is for me to handle stress or if it's just a cumulative accrual of stress over the years that just makes it so hard to shrug off new things. I don't know. But, uh, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I've got Jesus in my life. So I know everything's going to be okay because there's a kingdom waiting for me at the end where it's all going to be fine. Right? And that's important. And I believe that. But unfortunately, that knowledge doesn't always help get the bill paid or finish the project for work, or make the kids and the dogs go to bed at a decent hour on a Tuesday night. Uh, well, confession time for me, real quick. Prayer actually has solved those things for me at different points in my life. I've suddenly been able to pay the bill. Just out of the blue, kind of happened. That deadline at work has... Um, just uh, out of nowhere, been moved back a few days and given me the time that I need to continue to procrastinate and panic the new night of the deadline. Uh, but these things happen usually after I find myself desperately talking to God, just, just pleading for his aid. Uh, now, the, the kids and the dogs going to bed appropriately, particularly in the summer, that's more of an apocalyptic, heavenly host descending kind of miracle. So I haven't asked, asked for that. That's a little much. You ask mom for the cookie, not the whole cake. 
you know. So I mean, we gotta we gotta kind of moderate some of these things. Um, but uh, when all of those things and many more like them, they just kind of crowd on me all at once. I find myself wondering, you know, have, have I failed God in some way? Am I being punished? If this is a lesson that's being taught, are there cliff notes? Can we, can we speed through this? More importantly, why am I not praying about these things? Is it because there's too much to say? Am I afraid that maybe God won't answer this time? Or, or am I just so overwhelmed that it, it doesn't even occur to me? It just doesn't even occur to me. Uh, when I'm beset on all sides by stressors and worry, I find myself not necessarily thinking about how to address each and every little one, small or major as it may be, you know, breaking it into its component pieces and praying for each one of those things. Instead, I just find myself thinking, you know, I just had to be in general. You know, just the tide is washed over me. I'm underwater. And how do I, how do I feel? How do I act? How, uh, how do I internalize my sense of self in a way that strengthens my identity as a Christian? Because Christians have worries, y'all. Okay? They do now. They did back then. They used to get eaten by lions, guys. There was some worry, even in the early days, for Christians. Now, that being eaten by lions, it's not necessarily the same as like, oh, I don't know, Comcast reporting you to Equifax because flunky number 47 can't open mail promptly. <laughs> but hey, you know, we've got worries. They had worries. Being a Christian does not make you immune to stress or hard times. So how are Christians expected to deal with these things? Well, as usual, particularly when you're hearing it from a sermon, we're going to turn to Scripture for the answer. Okay? Now, there's actually a lot of passages that address what I'm talking about. Uh, and I've picked one for us to work with this morning, and I'll tell you why I picked that one instead of another one towards the end. Okay? But... Uh, if you wouldn't mind, grab your Bibles and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10. Now, while you guys are finding it, before I start, let me give you just a little, little note to keep in your mind. Paul the author is going to use the first person plural, we when he's addressing the church in Corinthians. This is not because he's decided he's royalty out of the blue and is speaking in the royal we. No, no, he's writing this letter actually on behalf of him and Timothy. This is a letter from Paul and Timothy to the church in Corinth. And because of that, they're talking in the plural because it's two guys who were united in the things that are being said and so that's why we've got the word we. But the word we is going to be important to me and what I'm saying to you again a little later in the morning, okay? But 
That's why we're getting we out of nowhere. So I'm going to read it to you aloud. 1 through 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Working together with him, him is Christ. Uh, just to put it in context in the previous passage. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying, behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. So there's our passage. Now, what are Paul and Timothy saying, and who are they saying it to? Well, it's the Corinthian church. The city of Corinth actually exists today. You can go and visit if you wanted to. It's a very real place. It's still around. People have actually lived in that spot for over 5,000 years. Now, it didn't establish itself as like a major power or an important place, though, until about 800 B.C. Okay? It became one of those Greek city-states that you forgot from high school history. Um, the other thing about the city of Corinth is it's been destroyed and rebuilt about three or four times like completely just taken to the ground. And then they built a new town on top. And they did that multiple times. So if you go to the city, they've got archaeological digs and museums and stuff, but it's really it's just layer upon layer of humanity just being replaced. Well, one of the times it was destroyed was actually by Rome. And then a hundred later, Rome came back and rebuilt it as a Roman colony. And that's the Corinth that Paul and Timothy are writing a letter to, okay? And it wasn't just Romans who lived there or Greeks. Corinth is in Greece, by the way. So Greece is, looks like somebody took all the leftover islands that didn't fit in someplace else and smushed them together and they just threw it on the map and called it this country. Um, it's kind of what it looks like, really. Well, there's a big piece towards the bottom of Greece off the mainland that looks like just a giant island, but if you look really close, it's actually connected just barely, which makes it an azimuth if you care about those kind of things. But 
Um, that's where Corinth is, okay? Um, the uh, Rome built it there, and it actually became a really cosmopolitan town where they had Egyptians, they had Africans, they had Jews, they had all sorts of people in that community in Corinth. And uh, so it was prime fertile ground for a church. But here's the thing. At the time of this letter, Corinthians 2, Paul had a really rough relationship with the church at Corinth. So the first letter to Corinth is a reply. Okay? So what happens is, is Paul runs over to the city. He stays. He works. He evangelizes. And he makes a church. And he says, I deem this church good. And he goes off to do it someplace else. Well, he leaves and they have questions. Right? Uh, you didn't clarify that one thing. This never came up. We don't understand how to do this or if this is right or if this is wrong. So they write Paul a letter and they say, hey, give us the answers. And he does. And that's our first letter to Corinth. It's all smiles and happiness and let me tell you the truth and correct you for you. And it's all going to be okay. Well, a lot happens between letter one and second Corinthians. Actually, a lot of other letters are written and we just don't have them anymore. Um, we just call it 2 Corinthians, not because it was the second letter, but because it's the second one we've got and put into the canon of the New Testament. So what happens in between? Well, they get into a fight about money. Because when Paul's in Corinth, they want to kind of give him a salary. They want to pay him. And he's like, oh, I don't do those things. I'm Paul. I work for a living. I don't, I don't do that at all. Hey, Macedonia, I'll take money from you. And Macedonia and Corinth are not on the best of terms not on the best of terms at all. It's, it's, it's essentially saying something like the Texans are like, hey, we really love you. We're going to give you one of our jerseys. Will you wear it? And you're like, no, no, I don't wear team jerseys except for this Cowboys jersey. <laughs> I'll put that on. So Corinth was a little pissed, uh, a little upset about the whole situation. Then the next thing that happens is... Um, missionaries come to Corinth, guys who are not Pauline, guys who are not connected to specifically Paul's teachings, and they get there and they start contradicting Paul. He told you what? Oh, that's cute. Let, let me tell you how it really is. Let us, let us instruct you in the proper terms and things. And so some Pauline loyalists then write a letter to Paul, like, hey, you don't know what these guys are saying. Paul flips out because he's a very calm, moderate person apparently writes a, a, a specific letter back that was probably not, not so uh, friendly. And then things continue, and he runs back to the city of Corinth. I'm going to put a stop to all this. I'm going to fix it. He gets there. They insult him. It just all falls apart. He leaves in a huff, and he writes something called the Letter of Tears, and we don't have it. But essentially, what we presume it is, is it's him basically lamenting to the city of Corinth. Everything that's gone wrong, how they've been led astray, and somehow it works. It works. And they come back and like, all right, Paul. All right, we'll, we'll work with you. We'll figure this out. We'll listen to your teachings. It's going to be okay. So at the time that this letter is written, 2 Corinthians, okay, what's happened is, is they have made up everybody's friends again, but it's that real shaky friendship where everybody's cool, 
but nobody's forgotten the argument. Everybody still remembers what everybody said and what everybody did, and those bitter words are still kind of still kind of tasting on the tongue. And then, well, well, yeah, we made up. We're good. But, so this letter, 2 Corinthians, is half, you guys are really nice and I'm glad we're friends again. And the other half is, I'm glad the fight's over, but I really need you to understand why I was right. And it's what it is. That's what this letter is. So, as I read it, Paul listed the hardships that he and Timothy have endured, all right? And he's doing that to remind the readers, both the Corinthians and us today, that being Christian isn't easy. It's just not. It's not a magic pill that makes us immune to the sins of the world or the thoughts and the actions of other people, okay? Think, think about those... Um, hardships that he listed. They're mainly external in nature. These are not things where Paul and Timothy have kind of messed up and now God's thrown a few consequences on them that are natural results of them making a mistake. No, we're talking afflictions and calamities and just living in a world where stuff goes wrong and other people do the wrong thing. That's what all these hardships that he listens, lists that he suffers with Timothy, that's what all of them are. And this is how Paul and Timothy respond. They respond with purity. They respond with knowledge. They respond with patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. And almost all of those are things that you respond to another person with. Something you respond to someone else with, um, I'll give you an example, patience, okay? You don't really do patience on your own at home in the night. You do patience with someone else. You're interacting with a situation or with other people, in my case, usually a smaller person, and <laughs> patience is required. <laughs> patience is needed. Kindness. Now, the truth is, is we could all probably stand to be a little kinder to ourselves. But the context here is implied that kindness to these people who are rioting, kindness to these people who are beating them, kindness to these people who are imprisoning them, this is the kindness that's implied here in the text. This is how they respond. And, all right, and I got to tell you, I love this. I love this. The weapons of righteousness. In the right hand and the left hand. This is a really common metaphor for Paul, and I just love this language. He talks about it in Thessalonians. He talks about it in Ephesians. I've actually kind of preached on this once or twice before. You've heard the whole armor of God? Put on the whole armor of God. Yeah, that's the Ephesians passage. Um, so here, when he talks about the weapons, right? The weapon in the right hand and the weapon in the left. It's a specific call to these other uh, more extensive descriptions and metaphors, right? So the weapon in the right hand, right hand, is, <laughs> is the sword of the Spirit. And that Spirit with a capital S. And the weapon in the left hand is the shield of faith. And this, this is how we fight our battles. The tools that we use, 
And our enemies, let's be clear, our enemies are not other people. It's not who's wronged us. It's not who's made a mistake or is saying the wrong thing or even the people who are propagating evil. No, our enemies, who we're in battle with, who we need these two weapons for, this shield and this sword, these enemies are sin, despair, temptation, fear, death. These are the real enemies. This is what God really wants us to do battle with. It's not our brothers and sisters, however wrong they may be, and correction is needed sometimes, sure. And sometimes you've got to take a stand. But what we're fighting when we take that stand, what we're doing, we're fighting these things, these horrible, horrible things that conflict with God's love and God's plan, sin, temptation, death. And however we choose to address it, it's not effective. We can't fight them back. We can't beat them down if we're not guided by and in touch with the Holy Spirit. Only through the actions of the Spirit, through the support of our relationship with God, can we strike a blow at those enemies. But more importantly here, I want to talk about the shield, the defense, the only defense is faith. At the end of the day, when we're really down, when we're really feeling it, when we're really overwhelmed with this and that and all the different things that just hit us out of life, out of nowhere, faith. Not logic, not a vast understanding of theology, not the authority of having a title or, or, or a label here at the church or anywhere else. No, I mean faith alone. It's the quiet choice. It's the decision to believe without proof, despite doubts, and in the midst of fears. It's the belief that God is, and he loves you. God is, and he loves you. Not who God is, not how he loves you, not what he does, all of that's extremely important, yes. But when you're besieged, whether it's with worry or stress or temptation or fear or whatever, all the details, all the explanations, even scripture, become secondary to the absolute core of faith. God is, and he loves you. No qualifiers, no explanations, no caveats, no rules. He is, and he loves you, period. The uh, last part of the passage that I read uh, is Paul defending himself and Timothy against accusations that come from the other non-Pauline ministries. Okay, this is Paul still fighting the argument that has been resolved. I think we've all known someone like that who's done that, haven't we? We have. Some of us have been that person. I've been this person, apparently. Uh, and I try not to be this person in the future. We'll see how that goes. Um, but I mean, I mean, you've, you've heard this conversation. It's, you know what? We don't, 
I don't want to fight anymore. It's not that important. We're friends. Let's just move past this. And the other person's like, you're right. We're friends. This is silly. Let's just completely move past the fact that you are so, so wrong. And I'm completely right. But we don't need to fight about that anymore. We shouldn't fight about you being wrong anymore. We can be just done with the fact that you're wrong. Yeah. No, we've had that. We've heard that. I've said that. And Paul is doing that. Paul gives us coupled statements for the last half of the passage we read. Uh, It's an accusation and then his defense. Oh, they say that we are unknown. Well, we're we're known in the kingdom of God. Jesus knows us. Mm. Oh, we're sorrowful, huh? Well, I don't know if you've checked, but there's always a party going on over here. You saying I'm poor? Well, I'm making everybody rich in the spirit, y'all. We're not poor. I love stuff like this in scripture. I really do. This is Paul. He's a pillar of the faith, right? And he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He can be arrogant and kind of a jerk. He can. Remember a few weeks ago back when Mike was preaching on John and he pointed out that John has to make sure that we really understand that John made it to the tomb before Peter? Like we're going to stop the entire resurrection story to clarify who won this foot race because this is important. (laughs) Yeah, but here's the thing. That's what makes it so wonderful because this is what makes it real. This is what makes it real. They're not people of folklore. These are not invincibly perfect protagonists, okay? They're not even Greek heroes, okay? Super wonderful, except for their one single flaw that's later their downfall. No, no, no. Paul, the apostles, King David, Moses, Elijah, these are just guys. They really are. Mary, Esther, Deborah, these are just girls, These are people trying to do their best to serve the Lord. And they make mistakes, and they've got personality just like we do. But they're doing their best. And they're trying to serve the Lord as God's instrument. So I want to let you know why, though, I chose this passage of all the ones in the Scripture to talk about stress and worry and being overwhelmed. Because... It uses we. Because it uses we. It automatically casts the issue in terms of plural and makes us, the reader, think in terms of community. Why is this important? This is important because you are not alone. You are not. Everyone bears similar burdens. And we will help you fight them together. When I say everyone, I mean the person in the pew next to you bears similar burdens. I mean the person on the opposite side this morning is going to help you fight those burdens. This is your church. And it's a special church. And I mean specifically Sweetwater Christian Church. Our church is different, but you're going to find that that shield of faith that I talked about, oh, it's so much stronger once you realize that everyone around you right now is holding it up with you to defend you. 
This is Sweetwater Christian Church. It's a tiny congregation in the midst of large churches in a land of plenty. But ours is a mighty and godly congregation. It really is. And it's going to fight for you when you need it. And it prays for you. And it suffers alongside you. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to reread this passage, okay? I'm going to swap a few words out with other words just to kind of really hammer home my point. There we go. Verses 1 through 10. Working together with Christ, then we, Sweetwater Christian Church, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Sweetwater Church puts no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, this church commends ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, Sweetwater Christian Church has been treated as imposters and yet we are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And we have. This church has been criticized for what's said at this pulpit. We've had it happen. And yet we're speaking the truth. I'll give you an example. So I was talking to a minister, not this sermon, but like three or four sermons ago, last year, year before. A minister in the Heights. I said, hey, I'm going to preach at my church on Sunday. I'm excited and a little nervous. He said, oh, really? Well, I'm a minister. <clears throat> what are you going to preach on? So I told him. And his response was, oh, no, you can't preach on that. That's not for them. That's for scholars. Pastors get that kind of knowledge. The general laity, regular people, they can't handle that. You can't preach that to everybody. And I showed up on Sunday and I gave my sermon exactly how I intended. Because we do here. We share that knowledge. There is nothing that's secret or special or for some elite group of Christians. Not here. You hear it from us every Sunday. You hear it from me, you hear it from Zach, you hear it from Michelle, you hear it from Mike on a regular basis. And our guest preachers. We're always willing to give you what we think you need to know. And it's not just from the pulpit. You're going to get it from the people next to you in the pews. You're going to get it at home group. You're going to get it at B&B. You're going to get it at peeling back the layers. We talk about God. We talk about Scripture. We've also had chances and moments where the church looked like it was dying. I have been here in this church where we had six people in the pews. 
And I don't mean just once because it happened to be a holiday or because it flooded that week. I mean like for a couple of weeks. We had six or seven people in the pews and there was a concern looking around like, hey, is this the end of this church? No, we are alive. We are vibrant. We're still here. We're here strong like we've always been. This church isn't dying. This church is an example of life, especially for a small church. Each of these things, each of these dual statements, sorrowful, sure, this church has been upset, but man, we rejoice. Man, is Sunday a worshipful time, even if we've lost somebody, even if we're dealing with a crisis in the community. We're going to sing our heart out every Sunday. We're going to rejoice. This is your church. This is your church. This is what we do here. Claim it. Claim this church as your own. I don't care if this is your first time here or if you've been coming for 20 years. Sweetwater Christian, it's your church when you're ready for it to be. And you can claim it in so many different ways, so many times. Church is about to go through its nominating committee process again. We're looking for leadership. We're looking for volunteers. Claim this church. We'll okay if you knew. Believe me. You've only been here two months, we'll still put you to work. No problem. Take ownership, though. Keep this church the wonderful thing that it is. Put something in the offering plate. Whether you can or whether you can't. Make it a token. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's a prayer card. We want to pray for you. Claim this church. Not Christianity as a whole. Not the disciples' denomination. No, this church. With all its flaws and all its weird characters and poor jokes at a podium. (laughs) This is us. This is you. And when those worries hit you and you're overwhelmed and you're just swept away, here we are. Here we are, ready and willing to be your life draft or just ride down the river with you. This church loves you, you specifically, not you in general. And we love God in return. Pray with me. Dear Lord, it's a hard thing, especially in the world we live in today, to admit that we're in trouble, or that we need help, or that we're worried, or that we're scared. But I've noticed that it's never hard to do that with family. You may not tell your coworker, but you'll tell your mom. You'll share it with your dad or that uncle. Please help us today remember everybody in this room is family. We're brothers and we're sisters. And we love each other like family. Help us to understand that we can reach out like family. Help us to understand that we need to support and return like family. We are so blessed. 
each and every one of us. And we owe that blessing to you in entirety. And we're grateful. And we love you. And we're excited to participate in communion and reaffirm that love. Amen.